Hello and welcome to Washington Beer Talk. I'm your host, the cycling certified Cicerone. I just got back from Australia where I recorded a bunch of really cool podcasts. Right when I was on my way out the door, all of my podcasting equipment was stolen. And that unfortunately included a couple of really cool recordings from Stomping Ground Brewery, interviews with beer Instagrammer Beer Burn City, and even the owner of the largest beer can collection in all of New Zealand. There were a lot of really great potential podcasts that got yanked when that SD card was stolen. And I know what you're thinking. Why is there no backup? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. But the show must go on. So I'm back with a bunch of fancy new recording equipment that I'm really excited to show off. And this week we have an episode I recorded before I left Flycaster Brewery with owner and co-founder Jeremy Eubanks. I chat with Jeremy about running a brewery while holding on to your day job, and we talk a little bit about fly fishing, mug clubs, and it makes some distinctions between some of the blurrier beer style guidelines. I've also got some really interesting news that I'm looking for a way to share properly with everyone. So over the next couple of episodes, I'll sort of be teasing at what I'm up to, and hopefully I'll figure out how to tell you soon. But enough about that, on with the show. Jeremy Eubanks, owner, brewer, janitor, Flycaster Brewing. Me and my wife uh, are the founders. We opened it up in May 2014, close to our five-year anniversary, which is this spring, so we're excited about that. Yeah, the first couple years, we were pretty small. We brewed on the Sampco 10-gallon system, which is still in the corner. Uh, we actually just put that up for sale, so if anyone needs a Sapco system, let me know. Uh, 10-gallon batches. So we, we used to brew on that three times a day, three days a week, just to try to keep the doors open. And we were still only open Fridays and Saturdays. So that was a struggle, uh, just to try to keep beer on tap. Two years ago, we upgraded to a three-and-a-half barrel with two seven-barrel fermenters. And then this winter, we went with the 15-barrel fermenters and another seven-barrel just to increase capacity. So slowly expanding. Yeah, so the brew house over here, we don't have a hot liquor tank. So we ended up going with an instant hot water heater, uh, which saved us probably $8,000. Um, a little adjustment on there, and you can get it up to 170 degrees. Uh, so we just use that for our boil kettle. Um, and then we just have the mash tun and the boil pot. A nice little system. You actually have a pretty sweet little spot back here. Yeah. Uh, how would you describe this location? Uh, rustic, for sure. The good thing is it was just a blank open warehouse, so we were able to kind of design it however we wanted. Uh, and being small in the Sapco system, we were running that for a year before we upgraded, so we had a pretty good idea on how we wanted to set it up. And uh, being a warehouse, we were actually able to get the glycol system inside, which actually provides a nice heating unit for the wintertime, so we we're able to save a lot of money on electricity. Uh, unfortunately, in the summer it sucks when you brew because it gets so hot. Uh, but we just got that lined also this this winter, uh, so now it's fully in line versus direct to the direct to the the glycol tank itself. Oh, okay, I can see all your uh, all your hoses up top. That looks like some new installation. Exactly. Yeah, it's nice to get all that off the floor, so you're not always tripping on it. Very yeah. cool. So we were just about to talk about this non-hazy hazy day IPA. Yeah. So we all, everyone needs a hazy. So we did our first hazy day. Um, and it came out, and it was beautiful, nice and hazy, great flavor. Used a honey malt with it, tons of mosaic, uh, and then we dry hopped it with mosaic. Um, and it was beautiful, beautiful hazy. Uh, the problem is, over the first two to three weeks, it settled out. <laughs> um, that's even after letting it sit as a cold crash for about five days. Huh. Uh, continued to settle. Wow. Um, now, the problem was everyone loved it so much, we decided not to change it. Uh, we kind of learned uh, we needed more flaked oats and mm. some other stuff to it to keep it suspended uh, but our first version at it uh, just was so popular we we left it named that we do get a lot of shit from that on uh, untapped a lot oh, of people of say hey this is not hazy and um, yes it's not but uh, it's kind of a joke now uh, <laughs> it's our number one selling beer we almost sell two of these for every one of anything else hmm. uh, make, I guess that makes sense hazy IPAs are pretty cool these days yeah. and IPAs always have kind of outsold everything, right? Yeah, exactly. Untapped. Now, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. I, like, I stopped using Untapped 
years ago yeah. and probably a couple months into making this podcast stopped even asking about it because yeah. like it's just one of those things that uh, <laughs> every brewer kind of has the same opinion on it which is like yeah you do it because you gotta you gotta make sure your beers are up on untapped but i but you you can't use it for feedback because no one on untapped really knows what they're talking about and yeah. uh you know no one gives constructive criticism of your beers uh yeah i agree i think my biggest thing is probably uh it saved my ass when i first opened really so uh when i first opened i, I was a home brewer becoming a commercial brewer I had really no idea what the hell i was doing um so when I lined all my beer lines, I had all this awesome CO2 red line that I paid tons of money for extra. I was like, man, I'll use those for my beer lines, right? So I use that because, you know, three to $3 for a foot versus a dollar must be better. Mm -hmm. So I ran all my beer lines. And then um, when I opened, uh, great opening, great first month. Uh, but then I started getting feedback like, hey, there's a off taste in Flycaster's beers. I was like, shit. So I changed my fermentation. I changed my sanitation. I brought in other brewers to brew with me. For the first six months, I couldn't figure out what the hell it was. And then someone put a comment in Untapped that says, hey, it tastes like he's drinking out of a, a garden hose. And so I, I took that term and put it in Google. And I was searching, you know, old brew articles and whatnot. And it's, I ran an article from like 1993 that said, hey, if your beer tastes like it's coming out of a garden hose, Make sure you're not using the red CO2 line because it'll leach a, a aftertaste into your beer. And I was like, shit. So I was I was about to quit. I was like, gonna close the brewery. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, I'm over my head. And when I read that, I came down that night like at 2 a.m. because I couldn't sleep. Came in, cut the hose, opened it, smelled it, and that was it was. Wow. So that night I switched it all out, and the next day I had my buddies in that reported it too, and they're like, yeah, it's gone. So. Uh, I look at Untap once a month just for nuggets like that. Uh, and if people are Untap users, more comments the better, because uh, I use those just to make sure I'm directional. I don't get hung up on a one star or two star, but if I get ten one stars, then then I know something's off. So yeah, that's my story of Untap. So it kind of saved my butt uh, because the person put took the time to put some comments in it uh, that I, I was able to use. So that's crazy. That's the first time I've ever heard anybody with a good story, but that is the yeah, exact, yeah. That, I was miserable yeah. though. I was like, man, I was, I was drinking a lot. I was like, I can't figure it out. Um, oh, but dude. it was funny that one yeah. person put that comment and I just Googled it and found that article. First article saved the day. Um, and then the funny thing is people still come in because it took us about four or five months to figure that out. Yeah. Cause no one would think it's the beer line, but uh, yeah, People are like, yeah, I first came in here, you kind of taste like a garden I'm like, yeah, we fixed that. We like, figured that one out. We should come back and try it again. That's so funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was one of those opening uh, challenges. So when breweries have issues the first couple months, I never yeah. really judge them until mm -hmm. six months later because they, they're, they're working through growing pains. That's the exact same thing I say. I will go to, I sometimes go to a brewery when they open, uh, but very rarely. And usually if I, if I hear about a brewery when they open, I'll wait six months and uh -huh. I'll go. And then even then, I'll give them, I'll come back again a year yeah. later if I, if I walk in and it's the worst brewery ever, which has happened yeah. to me before, I'm just like, whatever, I'll be back in a year. I'll yeah. see what this is all about. Exactly. Um, that's crazy. One of the things that we do, uh, I mean, when, you know, when you're studying for Cicerone certification, you learn about all those off flavors and that kind of stuff. And garden hose is something that I, I read about just one time, you know, you'd have to remember it. And I don't even think it was on the test. Um, but one of those things they, they didn't want you to do as a Cicerone is when you taste beer that has off flavors in it that you know are off flavors, yep. you're supposed to be able to say, you know, you should feel qualified to say, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. I can taste this and you're clearly doing this wrong. And um, and I've been to a brewery or two where something is clearly wrong and I would I would say I'm 80% sure what it is, you know, like, yeah. would that taste like a tap line infection, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but not once have I yet been brave enough to tell someone like, listen, I think you're doing this wrong. You know, yeah. maybe with the anonymity anonymity of uh, Untapped, I might be able to do a little bit of that. But yeah, uh, um, but yeah that's anyway, that's great. That's a good, that's a good tale, I suppose. Um, have you run into anything weird like that since? Any more nuggets on Untapped? No, most of them is. Uh, it's interesting when we first get an account seeing the Untapped reviews there because I use it uh, from a sales perspective like mm. hey here's my untapped scores from what you're selling and just show them against competitors but um, 
Other than that, I just use it as an indicator, like to your point, everyone's taste buds are different. You might think it's a five, I might think it's a two. So mainly the average and making sure I don't have too many outliers. Yeah. Um, so That's fair. There's a couple seasonals I will never do again based on untapped scores. Oh yeah, like what? Uh, Off the top of your head. We did an oatmeal pail that everyone said they liked, but when I looked at untapped scores, were not the greatest. I didn't really like it either. It was a fine beer. It's just... Uh, wasn't what I was thinking about oatmeal pal. Yeah. Um, so I'll never do that recipe again. Um, that was probably the big one off the top of my head. Mm. But it was like 2.9. Okay. No, no need to waste that recipe. That recipe go to the back of the book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. One of the, I, untapped always gets at me cause it, those those five star ratings when you when you go to taste like when you finally find a rare beer you know mm -hmm. if you finally have your Pliny the Elder or whatever your Cantillon yeah. shit you've been looking for this entire time uh, and you have it then you will inevitably give it a five star just because yeah. it's a famous beer and you wanted to do it and it, yeah. and sometimes you know so you don't get it probably is useful in aggregate uh, and less useful for you know, that kind of stuff just because I don't know whatever people are people are goons. Well, when you first open, you look at it all the time. You can't do that. It's, yeah. it's too much, too emotional. And you look at how they scored other beers, and they might just be negative across the board. Yeah. Right? So there's those variations where I get all upset, and I'm like, well, he gives everyone a two. All right, so that's not a bad thing. So I had a, um, let's see, my, one of my earlier untapped experiences, I was, it was pumpkin beer season, and I'm not much of a pumpkin beer fan. And I'd just been using Untapped for a little while, and I had, uh, this was pre-Elysian buyout, and I had some of their Night Owl, that pumpkin beer. And um, I like and how it, you put that disclaimer in. Yeah. Pre-buyout. Of course. Yeah. I tried to avoid buying any yeah. Elysian beer post-buyout, and yeah. every now and then I like find out a beer that I'm drinking has been yeah. recently acquired by Budweiser or yeah. is in a portfolio for one way or another, and I'm like, ah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Um, but anyway, I had this, you know, had a night owl and uh, rated it three stars and wrote the description, best pumpkin beer I ever had because I hate pumpkin beer. Um, at least back then, I really hated it. These days, I'm, I'm usually excited when pumpkin beer season rolls around only because it's just so novel yeah. once per year. Is it novel? Um, but anyway, I had said like three stars, best pumpkin beer I ever had. A buddy of mine read the description and goes, well, that's bogus. You got, you've got to rate it in its category. Yeah. If it's not the best pumpkin, if it's the best pumpkin beer you ever had, it should be a five. Yeah. And then he showed me his, one of his reviews on Untapped, and he had the Bud Light Michelada. Oh, <laughs> he goes, see, that's a five star. Budweiser makes the best Michelada. It's the only one I've ever had. It's the only one I've ever seen. Yeah. But you have to rate it in its category. Oh, that's <laughs> makes so, sense. Yep, yeah, makes perfect sense. Okay, so let's see. So, Jeremy, you um, you already mentioned that you were a home brewer for a while, yep. then you sort of went uh, went pro brewer. What were what was sort of the steps? What got, what got you into home brewing? What kind of catapulted you into the uh, professional realm? So I moved over to Seattle in 2000 and just fell in love with the brew scene, like attending breweries, the vibe, the atmosphere, the tours. Um, a lot of my favorites are, you know, still over in Ballard, like Maritime Brewing is uh, my go-to brewery on the east over there. Uh, still visit that one a lot, but just love the just love the vibe, the industry, and of course drinking beer. Uh, so started home brewing because of that. Um, that became fun, um, but we never really got good at it. Home brewing never consistent. Couldn't keep the mash right. Couldn't sparge the right temperatures. So it was more of just a hobby. Um, at that time, I was working at Microsoft. Hit. 16 years and I was like man I, I don't think I can do another 16 um, so I need to figure out something else to do uh, so brewing was the only thing I thought else we could get going so at that time we looked probably a year and a half for a, a location and I bought the Sabco system was brewing out of the garage and uh, trying to get the recipes dialed in and uh, couldn't find any place in Winville or Bothell and um, again, was about to put it on the shelf again. I'm just like, screw it. I can't find any place. And we stumbled on this place in Kirkland uh, that fit our budget. Like, uh, I could have got the old Woodenville whiskey spot, but I didn't have $8,000 a month to pay for the lease. So mm -hmm. uh, we were luckily stumbled on this little location. It's a little out of the way, but it, I could afford it. So the wife let me go for it. Um, and it took us, we signed the lease 
in December 2013 and opened five and a half, six months later. Um, sold every ounce of beer on opening. Uh, then we were closed for a month while I made more beer. Uh, <laughs> so, we, you know, we just, we've learned everything the hard way. We screwed up everything once uh, uh, in terms of demand and the recipes and fermentation and the beer lines and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. it's been, been a journey. So... It's safe to say you didn't have very much beer experience before you did this. Other than consumption. Brewed. Other than, yeah, other than drinking then, a little uh, bit of home brewing. Yeah. And I'd even win like medals at home brewing. It was yeah. like, hey, I want to be, I, I can do this. Like just pure, pure will through a lot of that. For the rest of the crowd that's listening and is at, you know, at Microsoft right now yeah. and thinking, um, you know, dang, I got to, I should fall, should I follow in Jeremy's footsteps? what would you advise them? I mean, I, obviously you are not the only person who, you know, was at Microsoft for too long and decided, screw this, I'm out, I'm gonna do whatever. Obviously that required um, a, a pretty big leap of, leap of faith yeah. uh, to go from a big Microsoft job um, to a brewing job. Uh, I, I know how much both those pay more or less. Well, I kept the Microsoft job. Okay. So I, I decided I needed the income. Mm. So this became nighttime job. Mm. So that helped a lot just to stabilize and make the home front easy and buy in because I wasn't giving up the salary. So really leave work and you come down here and brew until 2 a.m. Um, and then run the tasting room on the weekends. So really it's um, just give, being ready to give up any free time. Uh, I wouldn't recommend having young children at home because you're not going to see them. Uh, but the big shift for me was like, hey, uh, we couldn't, I, since it was just me and the wife funding it, uh, I couldn't buy a big enough brew system. So we went with Sapco and we said, hey, we'll expand. Um, and that was probably something hindsight 2020. I should have bought the bigger brew house uh, just so you can make, get your cash flow up quicker uh, versus just saying, hey, I want to get up and start it. I'll grow. Because mm-hmm. once you get up and start and grow, there's other costs and you'll never really get a chance to afford that bigger brew system. Um, Finally, we just had to prioritize and we put more money in and, and grew it that way once we hit the demand thing. But um, yeah, it was just, it's a time commitment. Time suck. And then every time you start making money, you got to do higher staff, you know, buy new equipment. Like uh, I haven't made a penny in five years uh, and we're still investing into it. So uh, it's not a profitable venture. It's more of a venture of love. And um, the day I'll make money is the day I, I sell, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, right now it's just fun. Okay. Uh, so you're still working at Microsoft. I moved over to Expedia a, a little while okay. ago, but uh, yeah, I still work full time during the day and then do this night and weekends. Um, so yeah. But I also did the whole like, I, you know, I like beer so much. I want to get out of Microsoft. And yeah. So that's what this is. This is my, this is my new day job because I don't want to work at Microsoft anymore. Yeah, don't blame me. And uh and uh, yeah, so I, I, I understand the, uh, the move. <laughs> so in the, um, so do you see leaving your day job in a foreseeable future? I mean, you just mentioned you probably won't make, you're not planning on making a ton of money here until you sell. Yeah. I think the big thing for us is, so we just added the two 15 barrels and another seven barrel fermenter. Uh, when we did that, we hired a sales rep to go sell, sign up more accounts. So we're really focused on distribution. Uh, as we do get the distribution up and running, we'll probably upgrade the brew house. I'd like to go from a three and a half barrel to a 15 barrel system. I think we might be able to squeeze it in here. It's going to be a little tight, but yeah. I think we can do it. I've seen breweries do it more and less. Uh, and then add a couple more 15 barrel fermenters. Uh, and then at that time, we'll see how it's going. Uh, mm. But I'm probably two phases away from being... Uh, at that point but really we expand get the demand cop up to our expansion once we hit that demand for a while then we'll expand again uh, so we're just slowly taking it that way mm-hmm. um, i didn't want to overbuild and then have a whole bunch of beer sitting around just in case um, so it's really just slowly getting the word out and getting more accounts yeah so which is becoming more difficult uh, due to all the other new breweries around yeah do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah it's interesting because you know we talked budweiser and uh, what not, but and it used to be, even when I opened five years ago, it was us versus big, big beer. Uh, so it was easy to unite and fight, but you're seeing a shift. Like now micros are fighting micros for tap space. Uh, so it's, it's getting a lot more competitive against each other versus us being united versus them. 
uh, and it's it's getting really tough to get tap. And if you are a tap, uh, you're on a month and off three months because you're a rotator. So what used to be 10 taps, you need 40 taps. Um, and you need people now to deliver and distribution. And uh, so it's putting a tax on the small brewery, especially like for us who do self-distribution. Um, it, it's a pain in the tail sometimes to get get out and delivering kegs after work or, or whatnot. Uh, or I have some help that does it during the day. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's definitely more interesting, especially as some of these big brewer, big small breweries, uh, one close to me is signed on with a distributor. Uh, Which one? Uh, Black Raven. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're, they're everywhere now. And Black Raven has amazing beer. So now that that distributor got some in more spots, it's harder to get in those spots. And it's so much easier for these corporate spots to order through one company versus five small. Uh, you got to really make that relationship tight with those guys. So uh, they want to order with you and, and for other people. Um, so that's... That's why I appreciate a lot of these guys when they give us the chats as, a, as an account, uh, making sure we treat them pretty good. Because mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, I can't take them to a Seahawk game. or I, I don't have the box seats uh, where some of like Columbia and whatnot, they can, they can take you to a little bit cooler spots. So uh, competing against that's tough um, and it's constant because even if you got a tap this month, doesn't mean it's going to be the next month. So yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a strain. It's probably the area that has me the most nervous this year is how do I sell 20 kegs a week that's you know which is small for other people but that's big for us right so yeah one of the things i'm noticing more and more these days is that there are you know you you mentioned the big breweries versus the craft breweries there kind of is that third level now the the that mid-tier brewery the mid-tier production brewery the regional slash not even regional like the statewide breweries that are famous you know so here in seattle you've got to deal with yeah black raven who's a who is a major mover here fremont brewery mac and jacks uh, georgetown those guys and they're just in a whole nother league they're order of magnitude above flycaster and above a lot of the breweries uh, m- most of the breweries right they're yeah. order, like you know they're bigger they're 10 times bigger than nine out of 10 breweries yeah. and um and there is just a there's different slots and different ways to compete with those guys yeah. i don't know i uh i recently saying a lot that you uh that, that like that there's pl- there's still space in the market for breweries that are tap room only scale um and uh, and yes, yeah, so it's a little it's a little weird to finally start seeing breweries having to compete with each other on this level. Yeah. Even a year ago, when I was talking to people, it wasn't even that bad. It was yeah. still a very it was a teamwork oriented discussion yeah. and less of a uh, you know less of a do- less dog eat dog. And yeah. uh, but it's you know that's it, there. And um, if I had a restaurant podcast or a bar podcast instead of a brewery one, then you'd have a lot more stories of bars and restaurants that opened and just closed because they, you open a restaurant, it closes in three years. And you know, that's how that goes. 70% of restaurants close. And right now only 10% of breweries close, you know, so it's still, still a good spot, I think, in terms of, you know, competition, we're still getting better and better. Yeah. I think when you're starting to see some either close or sell, um, we were actually up for sale last year. Really? Um, and we were sold uh, until the last minute and it just fell through. And I was like, screw it. Let's, we know what we need to do to grow it to the next level. So we just took it back and grew it. Uh, but, you know, like we have Hi-Fi down the street that had great beer. They recently closed. Uh, uh, Brickyard up in Woodville has recently closed. Both their locations. And, so it's interesting to start seeing some are closing, which you never really heard that before, to your point. Yeah. Uh, or they're selling their location and equipment. So, Naked City, right next to Flying Bike. Yeah, that's yeah. another one. I never would have thought that would have closed. Yeah, um, yeah so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think, I think you're going to see more of that over the next three to five years mm-hmm. as people realize, hey, there's no money in this. It's, just <laughs> yeah. like, it's not, not what you think it might be. You don't got A and B writing $10 million checks to buy people out. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting. Another yeah. reason why uh, we, we invest when we have money and we stop investing when we don't. And we just kind of grow it when we're profitable. So mm. uh, we just take it slow that way. That's, 
maybe one of the reasons that it's fun to sort of you know keep your day job while you're doing exactly. it. Exactly. I don't know. I wonder what model out there because there's certainly some biz, not business model, but like you know employment model or just business structure of some kind that makes running a brewery as a side hustle like reasonable because it takes so much work to run a brewery but like how do you pay for like do the exact right amount of startup work and pay the exact right employees just sort of have a place where you can go and get free beer (laughs) you know that'd be nice uh for a minimal amount of work i uh yeah i don't know yes you know it's one of those things if you want a brewery that makes a million you got to start with two million yeah yep i've heard that one that's a good one but uh, it's amazing like looking at the new fremont facility yeah it's like how much cash did they put in that beautiful thing oh yeah absolutely one whole warehouse is just cask beer up to the ceiling yeah it's like all right there's all that dark star in there you know so yeah that's 250 dollars for a six gold (laughs) so i want to buy my two casks now yeah look at that six months come talk to me so (laughs) uh, yeah it's it's fun to watch though yeah i actually was at fremont um just last month yeah. and uh yeah doing a podcast episode of them and they're a lot of fun they're a cool they're a cool gang and uh yeah it's it's a it's a massive difference in scale it's, it's just a completely different game yeah they're i'm in their i was in their conference room the conference room they had just built yeah. and it was uh, my, let me fix my conference room yeah me. right <laughs> we have the folding plastic conference room in the, <laughs> in the middle of the brewery yeah no but that's you know that's yeah. that <laughs> But this is how it is. That's the whole point. The whole point of being able to run it. The whole—that's the magic of breweries. Is yeah. that it? Yeah, you can, you get to do that kind of. You can just, you can make one. You can just make one. Um, how would you describe the Kirkland area where you opened up here? Uh, Kirkland area is great. We didn't have a brewery when I opened, so we were the first in Kirkland to open, uh, which was nice. That tons of support uh, up front. You know, we had that first six months was rocky, but most. Everyone stayed with us, really. It's, um, we've just constantly grown year over year. Uh, last year was a, a record year for us, which was awesome. Um, this year's starting off pretty awesome compared since it's January. Uh, so we've got great support. Our location's more of a destination spot. You're not walking by and say, oh, let's hop in to get a brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people have to go out of their way to come here, which is, and we get great support for that, so we appreciate it. Um, and then the distribution's really picked up the last six months hmm. in terms of outside keg sales, which has been our focus. Yeah. Uh, which has been great too. Uh, a lot of that's in Kirkland, but we're also getting a lot of love from neighboring cities, Woodenville, all the way Shoreline, Everett. Uh, we got a couple of accounts in Burien, so uh, we're slowly getting out. And yeah. then we're, you could probably handle another five to 10 accounts, and then we'll have to probably ex- expand our production again. So yeah. um, that's the focus there. Um. Are there, okay, let's see, so, so you guys are right on the, uh, the Cross Kirkland Corridor. It's a, it's a pretty good spot. So up in a couple of months, we're doing East Side Beer Week. Yep. That's one of the other, other reasons I'm over here on this side is yeah. exploring these bike routes. Nice. I'm working with the bearded gentleman, you may have heard yep, of him. Yep. So we're trying to plot out some good bike routes for East Side Beer Week. And since you're right on the uh, cross garden corridor, which is a beautiful path, yeah, it's a little gravelly. It's not exactly paved, yeah. um, but it's smooth enough to bike on for yeah. sure. Um, and that connects you and Chainline basically yep. by this vein. Yep. Uh, and Chainline's another another one of those breweries that's uh, getting you're getting pretty big from what yeah. I hear. Talking to them, they're pretty they're they're uh, ambitious about their growth goals. Yeah. And. Um, but yeah, they're a really great spot, and you guys will be right on the same bike route, so you'll yeah. get a lot of new people. Just that back and here. forth. What's that? Like people ride back and forth. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. We should get like a beer run in between us someday. So one of these days we'll coordinate one of those. Yeah, and what's it? It's uh, only like five miles. Not even no five miles is yeah, too many. It's yeah, three miles. Yeah, it's even that. It's downhill from here, so we can start here and keep it keep it <laughs> hydrated all the way down. Perfect. Uh, but yeah, and between them and Malmstrom opened recently in Kirkland, so they're the third brewery, uh, which is only a couple blocks from here. They got a cute, sweet little spot in terms of, it's kind of hidden also, but once you get in there, it's an awesome tasting room. Um, and I was surprised, I went there right when they opened, they actually had really good beers for when they opened. Uh, so the, they're, I think they're growing too, and they're, they're learning their way just like the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, but I think they're more in the fly casher model of, Hey, we got day jobs and we run that in our spare time where, you know, Chainland, they went all in, they're full-time running the brewery, which is, uh, I'm jealous sometimes, uh, but 
Sometimes I'm not. Every two weeks when I get my paycheck, I'm happy. Yeah. So. <laughs> Tell me about the kinds of beers you choose to brew. Yeah. So when, we don't get too funky around here. Um, I like most beers. I'm not a huge sour fan, so we, we do those as some seasonals. But, you know, we have our, our light beers, our pails, or, our blondes. Uh, we don't do a Pilsner or a lager or anything like that. So our lightest beer is a blonde. Um, we have two or three IPAs on at any given time. Um, Rocky Ford's our flagship along with the Hazy Day. Um, Rocky Ford? Yeah, it's named after a creek fly fishing stream over in eastern Washington, uh, which we actually take our, our old mug club. We don't do that anymore, but we take a group of people fly fishing every twice a year over to Rocky Ford. Uh, last fall, we do it in the spring and fall. Last fall we had about 40, and then in the spring we had about 60. Uh, so we bring people over, barbecue, have some beers, and fish all day. Uh, it's great. No, you don't even need to have to. You don't even know how to fly fish. You can show up. We got extra, extra gear and everything like that. So that's what Rocky Ford's named after. Um, and then the, uh, those are big ones. We actually have uh, Yakima River Red, which is named after the Yakima River the only blue ribbon trout stream in Washington state. Um, and then we have the parachute Porter, uh, which is named after a fly fishing fly, the parachute Adams. Um, what else are other big ones? We got, um, our mosaic pail right now is a big seller. Um, we actually had a, a different pail that it replaced. So we're, we kind of retired the other one and replaced it with this one. Um, and then we always got something new going on. We got, I'm doing a juicy IPA right now, which hopefully will be ready when the sun comes back out. Uh, we got the Imperial Stout, which we're kegging today, and we put in the Woodenville whiskey barrels. So we'll let that sit in there for three to six months uh, and then start kegging that when it's ready. Uh, but and then we always have season, ESB is the other one. We, that's another flagship. Uh, that's the one we won our gold medal for at the Washington Brewers competition. ESB? Yeah. Okay. I grew up on Red Hook ESB. So when I was like, man, I need an ESB, and not a lot of people do ESBs anymore. Yeah. So that's that's another one we, we pride ourselves on. Let's talk about Juicy IPA. You mentioned Juicy IPA, and I just wanted to know, uh, what's the difference? What's a Juicy IPA versus like a Hazy IPA, Normal IPA? Yeah, so, um, so Hazy for us, everyone has a little different style. And I might be unorthodox, and I'm okay with that. Really, the Hazy, it's just how do we suspend those proteins and hops in the beer. So it's not, not a crystal clear beer. You got that haze. Um, I don't necessarily go for my hazy to be a juicy. So the juicy IPA, for example, uh, we don't add any bittering hops to it during the boil. So we let it boil out, we shut it off. I set up a whirlpool that goes for about an hour and every 15 to 20 minutes I add mosaic hops and uh, really prevents a lot of the oil burn off. Um, and I had some uh, crystal in there too, but it just gives it a nice juice flavor. Like you really, you feel like you're drinking a juice. Uh, our bitterness on that drop, we got it down to about a 40 IBU. We'll call it a juicy IPA, uh, but it tastes like an IPA, but you're not getting the bitterness from it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then we dry hop it with mosaic too to add the, even the more aroma and give you a little bit more of the, the tropical along with it. Um, so we, we really went for the, hey, I'm drinking a, uh, a, a glass of orange juice vibe, mm -hmm. um, so it's healthy, of course, vitamin C, um, versus the hazy, you're still going to get a lot of the bitterness, uh, it's going to be cloudy, and some of them can still be juicy, hazy, juicy IPAs, so it's kind of based on how they want to mix them together. Uh, mm -hmm. We've really separated the two, though, because you're not really getting any juicy with the, the hazies we're drinking here. Okay, let's talk about Flycaster. So, you mm -hmm. are clearly a fly fisher, fisherman. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which is funny because you're talking about you know opening this as your side business this is your hobby it's a labor of love yep. and it's named after your third like love yeah, and yeah. hobby which must be fly fishing so tell me about fly fishing and why is fly fishing good enough to be the name of a brewery yeah so growing up I fly fish since I was a little kid um, used to go out with my brother he would just drop me off and disappear and all of a sudden eight hours later we'd, he'd pick me up and we'd, we'd go um, as we got older, uh, we would end up at a microbrewery after we were done fly fishing. And then before you know it, we were planning our fly fishing trips where the microbreweries were. 
So it became more and more ingrained into everything fly fishing. And hey, what beer? Oh, we need the, uh, God, what was the big beer that we always drank? But there were certain beers for certain fishes. Like we noticed uh, we would drink. There's a, there's a brewery in Enterprise, Oregon, uh, Terminal Gravity. Hey, the Terminal Gravity, when we drank that, we did better steelhead fishing. Hey, when we were drinking, uh, you know, the Red Hook ESB, we did better bass fishing. So we had the different beers matched to the different fishing styles we did. And uh, so when we opened it, we were struggling with the name for a while. And then someone brought up Flycaster, and then we just started spinning on that. And all my, all my buddies fly fish. Uh, and a lot of friends of our friends fly fish. So it seemed to steamroll. And then we fired up Facebook early and we would do a lot of social media polls. And we had like seven names and people voted and Flycaster was hand down the, the winner and we kind of just went with it from there. Um, so it's been fun ever since. We just try to integrate to uh, in the themes like we have the, the annual trips where we take people. Uh, tonight you might see the fly tying group in here tonight. There's a group of fly tires that come in every Wednesday night and sit in the back uh, at the conference tables uh, and tie flies and drink beers. Uh, so we do quite a bit like that, but we don't do everything fly fishing because we want to target the outdoors person more because uh, you don't have to just be a fly fisherman to come to fly caster. You just need to like outdoors and good beer. So yeah, uh, that's how the, the name's kind of gone. And, you know, it's done well. We send a lot of merch to Montana. I've sent it as far as Australia. Uh, New Zealand, we sent some pint glasses to New Zealand. Like people find the name and they want it because they're fly fishermen all around the world. So uh, we sent we, we mail off a lot more swag than I ever thought we would. Wow, that's so, crazy. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. That's a that is a surprising thing to have to do. Uh, yeah. You know, because of your name, I well, there was a brewery I talked to in um, uh, I was in Minneapolis, yeah. and their brewery called Flat Earth. And mm -hmm. there was a joke about like they're not a bunch of flat earthers, but they are. Uh, but they called it that for whatever reason. They have a bunch of, uh, you know what? I'll have to go check the tape to remember exactly why they called themselves flat earth. But they said that they had the flat, the like the yearly flat earth convention, or you know, some group of flat earthers would come meet at their brewery and drink beers and, and theorize about mm -hmm. flat earth. Um, at the brewery and they, the, the brewery took no official stance yeah. on the flatness of the earth, but they were happy to like, something happy to have some beer. customers come in and, you know, have something to talk about while they were there. You know, they had no reason to ever kick them out or anything like that. And that was just, I just thought that was too funny. Yeah. So that's kind of the same, same, but different like, yeah. Oh, Flycaster, man. I love that. Let me see if I can order some swag. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Uh, you mentioned ESBs and how you wanted to brew ESB at that's your flagship. You mentioned the ESB, and I was just down in Texas where I'm from. Uh, Red Hook here makes the ESB. Um, they, that was their main beer. It was basically the only beer they made. They made some other stuff, but no one cared about it. Uh, and it was known nationally. You could get Red Hook ESB anywhere. Shinerbach, that's the Texas version of that. They brew Bach, and it's known nationally. They brew some other beers that only Texans know about, and no one else cares yeah. about anything else that Shiner makes. They make just this Bach. Here, you'd think you'd see more ESBs as a result of that influence because when you go back to Texas, every craft brewery has a Bach on tap. It tastes nothing like Shiner Bach because yeah. it tastes like a proper Bach instead of this sort of mass-produced shenanigans Bach that Shiner Bach makes. No offense to Shiner Bach, I still like that brewery, but they, uh, their Bach doesn't taste like a Bach. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, and I, I still don't know what an ESB is supposed to taste like because I've only yeah. ever had the Red Hook one and the occasional like you Sanders know. has a good one. There's some out there, but yeah, they're not they're not too frequent. And I don't. I always look at ESB as that entry level drug, right? Mm. So the first guy drinking his real beer, you can't go straight IPA. You'll kill him. So you got to do like a pale or an ESB, a red. Get him used to that. A couple of months, maybe a year. Then you take him to the IPA stage. So for me, the ESB was that entry level to real beer um but it is interesting you don't see as many but every like you go in there's four ipas on tap so i think that's just because we're all hop heads around here and yeah they don't sell as much i sell a lot of the esb but um i can tell you my accounts that have the ipa on i'll sell three kegs for every one keg of the esb mm -hmm. just because their consumers are are looking for that yeah. like, hey what ipas do you have they don't even look at the menu. It's like, what IPAs do you have? It's, not, they don't care about anything else. So. Yeah. God. Okay. Um, what is, what's up with that? Like, so the the 
standard beer drinker like who who is that who is that person because you know to you or me i go to a brewery and i want to get what's new i i you know i had y'all's hazy ipa but that's only because that's what uh what's your bartender saying amir yeah uh, that's just what he said i said hey what should i get he said well what do you like and i said no no no, no. what do you like he says like the hazy ipa so yeah. i got it yeah. and uh and but who are the people who are running around out there asking just for IPAs? Because I don't know them. Like the people I know are always drinking porters and saisons and sours, and they're all they're trying yeah. new things whenever they can find them. Yeah, well, it's like I always look at the beer industry. There's the the connoisseur beer drinker that is looking for the new thing: the saisons, the sours, the the seven year cask bourbon stout. Like that's the specialty group that you always want to have. The seasonals or something different on your tasting room to make them happier or get them to swing by every once in a while. Uh, but to me, that's and what my clientele, that's usually the 5 to 10%. Um, there's the other just streamlined beer drinker. Uh, it's just pale, IPA, um, and maybe a blonde if it's hot out. Like, they're just the standard every time, the same thing. Most of my friends are the, the same thing every time. They don't even think about it. It's just IPA, IPA. I'm like, don't you ever get tired of that? Like, I, w- I drank tons of our ESB. I moved into red. Uh, I moved into the hazy day for a long time. I'm actually drinking tons of our mosaic now. I change every three months. And a lot of people don't. They, they just get stuck in their, hmm. in their one beer. That's based on the trends I see here. And a lot of the bars I go to, based on the bar, I know what kind of beer they're drinking. Like the bar down the street, that's Coors Light, Bud Light. Uh, and then they have Elysian. So, you know, the, the, they probably don't sell a lot of the Stardust down there. Uh, but each, each bar is different. But uh, that 5 to 10%, it's tough because, you know, they know where the good beers are and they're always looking for it. And, but they, you see that it's tougher. I see less of them here because they like to go to tasting rooms like uh, Flatstick where there's 30 different beers from 30 different breweries on. So I've seen less of them come to the breweries as frequent. Now they'll come here for special releases, but... Um, why why not go to those places? So you know, you're seeing the competition between the, the, the tap rooms that do the specialties and the breweries too because it's easier to go to the place that has 30 of them on tap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's fun just to see how the market changes day to day. That's so funny you'd mentioned like flat stick. I, you know, I go to Chuck's Hop Shop from time yeah. to time. Uh, yeah, and they... Uh, um, but, you know, I prefer to drink at breweries. And my, mm-hmm. my deal with Chuck's is I'll go to there and you'd see their tap list of 30 beers. And I look at the brewery and go, oh, that's just around the corner. I should just go there. Yeah. And, I, I, and I usually do that. When I wind up at Chuck's, um, I, I will buy a six pack of something from Utah or something. Yeah. And then I'll sit there. And if I got friends who my friends like to go to Chuck's. So I'll sit there and I'll drink. I'll crack cans of something from a completely different state. And that's yeah. the only reason I go to Chuck's. Yeah. And... Um, and yeah, but I guess, you know what? My friends all love Chuck's and my, they all love growler guys and they don't quite, you know, they don't quite get why I like going to the brewery that I know is right on the corner. Like, why would I go to growler guys and get an $18 growler fill yeah. when a brew with same brewery they're filling fills growlers for 10 down yeah. the street. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk a little more about that. So like, what is, uh, what, what must be the mindset there? Like, I, I, you must want to try as many breweries as you can, but it's not part of that. Like, obviously, I wouldn't be making this podcast if I didn't yeah. think part of trying breweries was meeting well, the people, seeing the place. I used to be the model. I love visiting the breweries. Like, I like going to every brewery, and I prefer to drink at that brewery. Um, but you're seeing more of these tasting rooms. It's convenience. Um, hey, I don't want to drive to the east side. Hey, they have putt-putt golf. Gives me something to do while I'm drinking. That is a good one. Um, so they, they're... they're providing those add-on services a lot of the breweries don't do. Like, I don't have food, um, but some of these places do. They have food trucks every night. So um, I think they're providing a nice niche, uh, especially when they're bringing a lot of out-of-state stuff in. The thing I like about Flatsick, they support all local breweries, all Washington State. Um, the ba- I, like, I love them as uh, accounts, especially Flatsick. They order a lot of beer from us, so I appreciate that. Uh, but a lot of these other ones, you know, they try to have so many different ones on. I'll sell them a six-barrel, and then another four months later, I'll sell them another six because they're trying to keep their taps. Mm-hmm. So they're not the greatest accounts to have, but they're cool to have because then people like you over checks would say, hey, there's Flycaster. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's another comp- com- competition for breweries. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I consider it direct competition, which is other breweries, and then non-direct competition, which is places like that, because people go there. Um, 
So yeah, it's just something else you got to manage and give people reason why to come here. Uh, make sure they feel comfortable when they do and get them to come back because there's just so many options. So many options. Yeah. Um, um, so another fun fact, but you and I, we talked about this when the mic goes off. You and I are both owners of Flying Bike, yeah. that brewery, um, which for people who are listening and don't know what that is, it's a it's Washington's only cooperative brewery. And I don't want to plug a different brewery on a podcast with you. I, I own it too. It's all right. Uh, but um, but what what was it that maybe drove you to think that, you know, buying a share of Flying Bike was a cool idea? Uh, it was in the phase where I had, I was, I never knew if I was going to open my own brewery and I really wanted to get, I wanted to open a brewery bad or be part of one. Uh, so it was a couple hundred bucks. I was a member. I was like, that's a no brainer. Um, so that was fun. And just to being able to watch it grow and see the struggles they went through before I opened, you know, you learn stuff. Um, and you know, you look at the, the way they were trying to raise money and, Oh, do I do Kickstarter? How did they do their kick? Are they going to do Kickstarter? Oh, so there's all the different things you can still beg, borrow, and, and from stuff like that. Um, so it was just fun to have an invested interest in a, a brewery that was trying to open. Mm. Uh, so it was fun to watch. Yeah. And then now every time I see someone with a flying bike shirt, I'm like, hey, we're co-owners. And now you got something to talk about. Even yeah. if you don't know the person. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I hadn't even considered how you can find other owners out in the wild and yeah. how that it is really funny. Because, you know, you think about it when you, 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 you it, if you ran into somebody who was in, say, your, like, uh, the, the, another brewery's mug club, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, I love that brewery, too, but it's not, you're I own owners. that brewery. Yeah. yeah. You're a member. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your mug club, which you mentioned earlier, yep. and how that ended up being a disaster, uh, or in, not maybe not a disaster, but in some way a bigger pain than it should have been. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, it was more of a pain than anything. We When we first opened, uh, we did a... One year membership, 150. You get a shirt, hat. We get to take. We took you fly fishing. All that was all inclusive, and you get a mug, and uh, it was great. But then trying to keep all the swag and stuff to keep the memberships going and tracking uh, renewal dates, and since it was just pretty much me and, and, and the wife, it just became so much overhead. We kind of just let it fade out, and and you know we we kept the things that were fun. Like we still take the people fishing. Uh, they pay 20 bucks, uh, but we'll, we'll take them fishing twice a year. Um, but we are also, lo we're looking at bringing a loyalty program back uh, versus a mug club type model uh, just to keep you, give you a reason to come back and drink. But, mm -hmm. um, a loyalty program being like a punch card. Punch or card or, hey, prepaid, nine, get 10 free. So there'll be some stuff like that. And, uh, when I, about a year before I, I opened the brewery, I went back to the Siebel Institute training in Chicago, how to open a brewery. Uh, and it was an interesting class. If you get a, got some money, it, well worth it. But they bring in all these breweries from Chicago that did mug clubs. Mm. And they talked about how they all lost money. Um, because, hey, if you don't account for every dollar beer off you give that person and they drink 10 a day or 10 a week, uh, before you know it, your 150 is gone. Or like, so they had all these financial models that you, you had to work and make sure that End of the day, the, the the mug clubs to make money. Like you want to be profitable, I drive loyalty. But if you're driving loyalty and losing money, uh, so you got to really think of it full end. It sounds awesome, sounds sexy, it sounds like a cool marketing material. Uh, but it's one of those things you got to be profitable to keep in business, or you'll be out of business in three years. Something I didn't really think about when I opened is being profitable. Uh, but once the bank account starts going low, you start, you need to change that quick. So. Uh, recommendation on mug clubs, just do the financial projections around what you're giving away, what's your break even, where are you going to make money, and really put some thought into how you structure that uh, versus just stealing someone's off the internet because it doesn't mean they're making money on those. Uh, and it's kind of key to keep the brewery going. Yeah. Um, um, so, I mean, I, I, I imagine every mug club member, any, any mug club I would buy, I would look at it and go, let's see, so it's $100 to join this mug club. That means I need to drink 100 beers at a dollar off a piece in order to make that money back. Yep. And any, for, at least for me, it's never a good idea yeah. for me to buy a mug club because I like there are 100 breweries in Seattle and yeah. I want to go to all of them. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I'm never going to go to any brewery 100 times. 
um, or the, let's be real, the 30, the 25 times it would take me to drink yeah, 100 yeah. beers at a brewery, um, I, I, it's probably never going to happen. And um, so that's out of the question for me. But for most people, but for anyone, but anyone still would look at it and go, where, where is my break-even point as a yes. consumer? Um, and shouldn't a brewer be ready to accept that like yeah every mug club you sell you will they will eventually reach their break-even point which means they're making money having done this but for every four dollar beer you sell instead of five or five dollar beer instead of six because of mug club aren't you still making money on those like isn't yeah. that still a profitable yeah you gotta make sure the person's getting benefit for their dollar right uh i think the key though is can you wrap up experiences in that like hey we have a private-only members event where you can come in and we'll, we'll crack the cask, right? And so there's different ways to do it versus the financial aspect of it to make it more valuable for the person. Like, one, hey, that's a once-in-a-life, well, maybe once-a-year once a experience that I get because I'm part of that membership. Or, hey, we'll take you to fly fishing over Yakima, I mean, the Rocky Ford. To get a guide, that's 400 bucks. I'll take you over there for 20 bucks. I'll cook you lunch and have fun. So... How do you wrap up some of those experiences to kind of make sure your financial part of it's good and make sure the person feels like they're getting their $100 worth? Mm -hmm. So I've looked at how do we do more of the experience stuff versus, mm -hmm. hey, you get a dollar off or $2 off. Man, if you drink 60, I don't want to be, I don't want to worry about that. Like, you should drink your 60. Like, get your, get your money. Uh, but what else, what else can you do on top of that to make it fun? Because mm -hmm. drinking beer here and the place down the street, you're still drinking beer. But if I'm, Get letting you drink out of a cast twice a year of something that only 50, 60 people get, that's, that's unique. Mm. Uh, so trying to do more of that unique stuff is, is where we're going to focus on and on our new membership. So, um, you, you, you already talked about the fly fishing trip. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit more, though. I want to understand some of the logistics of yeah. that. So um, you said you're not doing a members the mug club anymore. Yeah. Um, so if, if I wanted to get in on that fly fishing trip, yeah, what would yeah. I have to do? Uh, so really... Uh, Probably in April, we'll post something on Facebook, and we have an email distribution list that we'll send out saying, hey, it's that time of year. Uh, we're going on April 22nd. Let us know if you come. I really just need, I just need you to let me know 48 hours before if you're coming or not, mainly for food and beer. Uh, a large group of us meet here. Everyone drives their own car. I used to rent a van, but we outgrew that real quick. Uh, so everyone just drives their own car, and we'll carpool over or caravan over. Some people just meet us over there and I give them directions. Uh, so there's a spot we all set up and I got the Flycaster banner. Uh, we just meet there by 9 a.m. So usually we leave here at 6. Uh, we get it set up, everyone fishes in the morning. Uh, I tell everyone to come up for lunch at 1. So I got burgers, dogs, even a couple veggie burgers for the people that are like that. Um, eat lunch, everyone talks about how fishing was. And then everyone goes back fishing. Some people take off back to Seattle. Uh, then we wrap up about five or six or whenever it gets dark and uh, we roll back ourselves. So uh, it's a pretty low-key event, but we, half of the group is returning every time. They have such a great time and the other group's uh, usually new every time. Uh, so it's really just opt-in. 20 bucks gets you uh, lunch, um, a crowler of beer, uh, and they're usually an extra one or two that people can take with them. And then we get a guide come up from Yakima uh, uh, guide service and there's a guide walking around to help you learn how to cast and different ways to you know, teach teach the techniques of Rocky Ford so um, it's always fun it's always fun uh, you might have mentioned earlier that you didn't need your own equipment you guys have like some loader we equipment got, to I got out. plenty of extra equipment so if you uh, decide to come just let us know you don't have your own equipment we'll make sure you, you have enough for when we go down the guide usually have some I have tons of extra because I got kids uh, so we, we got plenty of equipment. So and the good thing is you don't have to cast. There's some spots where you can, you don't have to be great at casting. Um, so uh, we'll get you into some fish. Or at least the good, another good thing about Rocky Ford, it's all sight fishing. So you can see the fish. It's not like a lot of these where you don't know if the fish are there. It's not, no, you see it. And it'll get you pissed off and you'll need your beer if you don't catch it. But you see the fish all through this, all the river. And then some of them are big, like they're mini salmon. And you're like, holy cow, how do I catch that one? And you'll fish for it for three hours and not get it. And then you get mad and go drink a beer. So 
That's a perfect um, combination. What? Okay, so you're, you're talking about being good at casting. Um, it, I don't know anything about fly fishing. Is that something that is like I know I understand that fly fishing is the one where you're whipping the you know yeah, you're whipping yeah. the fly around in the air. What what exactly is that all about? Just give me a quick primer on fly fishing. Oh, it's just trying to catch trout as they naturally eat. So all they eat is bugs or stuff in the water. Uh, so it's just simulating their natural eating environment. That's all it is. Uh, versus you know. You know, bait fishing or casting lures, somewhat the same, but not as natural. Uh, like you can still use minnows bait fishing, or we use minnow streamers. Uh, so some of that is the same concept. It's just a lot more finesse and more difficult most of the time. So um, bait fishermen usually will catch more fish unless you're really good at fly fishing. But you feel a lot different vibe when you catch it naturally versus with a big, big crankbait or something yeah yeah so it's fun. that sounds like a ton of fun yeah. i i hope that anybody listening i i for one am super interested and i'll have to hit you up in april to try to maybe see if i can make this yeah, happen definitely let us know we'd love to get as many people as we can oh man so there's plenty of room on the, the stream so we we even with 60 people we're able to spread out plenty yeah. I don't yeah. know if the regulars like it when we show up like 50 cars, but yeah, it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be it. That, yeah, that's just got to be the funnest. Um, okay, I um, we've been going at it now for an hour, so yeah, I think it's about time to wrap up. I do have a couple bonus lightning round questions right, to ask. So, what is your favorite beer ever? Maybe not your favorite beer, favorite beer, but the one that turned you into the drinker you are today. Ooh. Well, I might have two answers to that. Um, the one that broke me into drinking was the Red Hook ESP. Like, hey, that was my first micro um, that I got serious about. Um, and I even remember the first time I had it, I thought I was the cool guy. We had a big kegger at my house, and I bought a keg of ESP, thinking, oh, yeah, we'll play beer pong with that. That was a bad idea. Should have done the Coors Light. <laughs> uh, but Red Hook ESP was the entry-level beer for me. Uh, followed closely by Winterhook. That's my actually Xbox gamer tag. If you ever need to follow me, is Winterhook. Oh, nice. Straight, yeah. no numbers. Just or? Winterhook. Whoa. I was the original Winterhook. <laughs> uh, number my favorite beer, mainly due to the when I have when I'm drinking it, my fishing uh, luck is way up. Is the Terminal Gravity IPA we talked about. So anytime I'm going steelhead fishing, if I don't have a six pack of that, life is not right. Um, luckily, you're able to find it around here where it was a lot tougher than it used to be. Um, and that brewery, actually, if you ever get a chance, an enterprise uh, is like a house. It's in a house. It has a restaurant that's in the house, and the brewery is in the detached garage. Uh, so it's a pretty awesome spot to visit. I, it, um, terminal, the, the terminal Gravity, it's not the first time I've heard of that yeah. brewery. Yeah. Um, I can't for the life of me remember who mentioned it to me last, but yeah, uh, yeah it, it sounds like a small little place, so yeah. it'd be crazy that I would have heard of it even twice. Yeah, uh, but perhaps I need to look it up. Yeah, look it up. It's a good road trip. Uh, I think your question, my favorite brewery. Uh, uh, so, well, if, if the if Terminal Gravity, beer. if there if that beer is your yeah. is that your answer? <laughs> uh, Terminal Gravity is my favorite beer. Okay. Um, favorite brewery is Maritime mm. in Ballard. That's. That was, I, I met a guy that worked there. So he had to wash kegs by hand. So take out the stems, spray it out, Ugh. put them back together. Like this was back in uh, 2001. But he, when he worked there after shift, he could bring his friends in and you could have beer for free. So I was like, shit, I was over there all the time. But the thing I loved about them is their food. Uh, they have little mahi-mahi sandwiches that are probably the best beer drinking food I've ever had. Oh, man. So if you get a chance, go over there, drink, eat those any of their beers, Islander Pale is awesome, uh, but those are all good. Um, your last question, when did I get really smashed? It's probably, but my problem is with Ballard's and Fremont is there's just so many good places in walking distance and you don't really eat a lot in between. Uh, probably two years ago for my birthday, we decided just to do the walking tour. We ended at Maritime, so we hit everywhere else. Um, I think we started over at Stoop. Uh, we hit Lucky Envelope, and there's a couple others. I, they all blur together, but just that tour uh, and drinking samplers. And I don't know if you remember the old Hales sampler. They used to give you 15 six-ounce pours of every one of their beers. Um, they don't still do that, do they? No, because they got in trouble, I think. <laughs> uh, but we had one of those, too. 
it was the Hales Maritime Ballard Tour, and that I remember half of my buddies did not finish that. They were out puking. But that used to be the coolest sampler. And they're like, dude, do we have to really set this up for you? And I'm like, hey, they won't drink it, but I'll pay for it. I just want them to see it. And they'd have all their beers. And it was like a 20-pound taster. Uh, it was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. Oh, man. But that was probably the most trouble I got. And just so many good beers so close together. Then you start mixing them like, oh, I went from a pale to a porter. I'd never do that. Like, just once you go pale or IPA, stay stay the same brand. But uh, that was probably the biggest time I got in trouble, just due to the amount in short windows, the short walk. And there's not a lot of hills over there, so you just... Uh, but it's good. It's better than getting drunk off hard A. Like, you're okay the next day. Yeah. Like, you just carb loaded. You can run a 5K. <laughs> like, you're ready to go. Uh, but like, yeah. that's the amazing thing. It's like, all these breweries, all of them have good beer. Yeah. Like, you used to be able to skip a place, but you don't do that anymore. It's like, yeah, you all got something you'll drink. So, that was probably the most trouble I've gotten into recently. But okay. My problem is I usually have to be in here the next day. Oh, yeah. So, being hungover and brewing, or, no, that doesn't, that's not fun. Yeah, you can fake your way through your day job at uh, yes. Microsoft if you got it, but exactly. if you really have to be brewing, that's no good. Yeah. Uh, me and my buddies had a joke. Um, the, we called it the, the Rubens to Peddler Day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it was just, it was Rubens. Or one of my my friend thought it was Rubens to Peddler. Uh, we're doing a two. We're gonna go to two breweries. Rubens to Peddler. But no, what I really had said it was Rubens Stoop Peddler. Had to yeah. go to all three of those breweries, yeah. and uh, we ended up just really just drinking all day. Rubens Stoop Peddler. That's not a bad deal. Um, okay, let's see. Um. Uh, so you mentioned Maritime Pacific. Do you have two other breweries that are most inspirational? Maybe the ones that you, yeah, the ones that you'd aspire to be to be like, or maybe just your favorites. Yeah, I think on the east side, there's quite a few good breweries on the east side. Like, um, I really like Triple Horn up in Woodinville. They got some really good beers, and just watching them grow, they used to be smaller than us up front and now they're just huge their tasting room which yeah is their exciting. taste room is beautiful i uh, love their place of course black raven like they're, they're like they're they're above and beyond i don't strive to be the next black raven but it's cool to watch them be successful and they're good guys um uh, but even like go brewing they've been awesome to watch where's go uh, brewing they were oh right the, the, the louisiana themed one yeah, yeah. yeah so all three all three of those are kind of cool to see how they're doing um, on the east side, like, Peddler's cool to watch because they opened about the same time as us. Rubens, how quickly he's been, like, he's on fire. Like, That's he's, insane. Have he's you seen him build that new place? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and he's one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to. Like, I randomly sent him a question. He answered within, like, 10 minutes. I was like, holy shit. Uh, and it was Adam. Like, so I was like, oh, it was kind of cool. Uh, so, they're, they're kind of cool to follow. And they have, they're in one place. Every beer of theirs I've ever had, I've liked um, so they, they got something figured out over there. So uh, between Rubens um, and Peddler watching them grow, and then Triple Horn, Black Raven, they've been going crazy for a while. Um, the thing I miss the most is kind of the downfall of Red Hook and them being gone. I hadn't been to there in years since they've kind of been corporate, but I used to love going to the pub over here, having movie nights and whatnot, but they're probably the ones I miss the most. Mm. Uh, but their time is gone yeah ever since they've been bought out it kind of faded but yeah that's always sad it's hard it, yeah i i spend i spend all my time railing on them and less of my time lamenting the loss yeah. probably yeah. more than i less than i should anyway um so of of you mentioned many breweries um if you picked a top three could you could you pick a top three it's important for the next question uh top three no order um I would go Maritime Brewing, um, Triple Horn, and Black Raven. And Black Raven. Maritime Brewery, Triple Horn, Black Raven. We've got, that's a, Redmond is Black Raven. Black Raven is more or less yep. Redmond. Triple Horn up here in Woodenville. Yep. And uh, Maritime over in Ballard. Yep. Of those three breweries, which one would you marry? Which would you kill? And which would you bang? I would marry Maritime because they cook. And I like their food, which is a big plus. <laughs> uh, which one I bang? Uh, Black Raven. They're, they're sexy. Uh, what was the second one? Triple Horn was your last one. You have to kill them. Uh, that'd be tough. They're Vikings. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have to go Triple Horn. They'd be my the kill one. Attempt. 
attempt. But uh, they're growing like crazy too, and they got some awesome beers. You so. would spar with them and, that, and that see one, where that one went. I would throw the first punch, and after that, probably get my ass kicked. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, that was about it. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Okay, um, one more question. You mentioned your wife a couple of times, yeah. um, and I didn't ask you any questions about her. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it. what's her name, what's yeah. her opinion on all this. Like, what does she think about this? Uh, all of the, all everything you're up to. So my wife's name is Tara. Um, I don't think she likes the brewery. Oh no! Uh, she's supportive of it, but it is a time commitment. But she, uh, she has she's had to pick up a lot uh, in the home front to allow us to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like tonight we have kid soccer practices and stuff, and she's covering all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's been highly Thank supportive. Thank you, Tara. Of that. I yeah. really appreciate. It. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, honey. Um, but no, she's she she enjoys the brewery and she has fun when she's here. Uh, but she does have a lot. She started her own law firm last year. So oh, wow. that's keeping her busy. Uh, so she has her own new business venture to deal with also. Uh, but since we expanded and uh, increased sales and everything, it hasn't been a financial burden, which is nice. So mm-hmm. that's reduced stress. Um, but overall, I think she wished we had more time back. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, it, it's we're making it work. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll give you an opportunity now if you have any questions you want to ask me or anything you were thinking about. Yeah, um, I got one that's been burning me the whole time. Why the fuck has it taken you so long to come to Flycaster? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I read the other day that they open 2.7 new yes. breweries a day. And uh, I make one podcast a week. <laughs> and at my current rate, I, I'm, I'm 17 breweries down every week. <laughs> and uh, I got a lot to do. So and, how many podcasts do you have? Uh, let's see. You guys will be probably episode... Maybe forty-seven or eight. So we are luckily maybe in your top fifty breweries. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's not too bad. I'll buy that answer. Yeah. So, when are you <laughs> going to come back to Flycaster? God, the next time I'm coming to Flycaster, well, I'll be here for every beer week. Um, I'll be so I'll be back around here riding my bike, but I will be back as soon as I can. Well, maybe you come back for our five-year anniversary in May. Oh, we'll be cracking open one of the. Uh, Winville Whiskey Cast. I'll make sure you get an invite. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I would, I'll put that on my calendar, the five-year anniversary. That'll be in May. Yeah. So, All sweet. right. Right on. Well, thanks for coming out. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking your time. Very candid discussion and all the good, uh, all the, maybe some hard questions and no, some good, good truths. Yeah. And I think, uh, thank you, uh, yeah, for sharing your time with me. This was a lot of fun. Great. Thank you for coming out. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Let's grab another beer. All right. Deal. Thank you, Jeremy. That was Flycaster Brewery. Go check them out in May for their fifth year anniversary party, or maybe even go in April to their fly fishing event. I certainly plan on being there. If you want to see photos of Flycaster Brewery, go to cyclingcicerone.com for the full blog post and photos. If you like what you're hearing here on Washington Beer Talk, then you can get the other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, really anywhere you get podcasts, or you can just get them straight from the source at cyclingcicerone.com. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Cycling Cicerone. And leave a comment or a like, wherever you can find a button that does that. <laughs>